college football, it looks like it's going to be UCLA once again in the Rose Bowl. After their blazing victory over the Trojans of USC, the fourth quarter touchdown pass UCLA a 21-18 victory for 85,000 fans. Here's an urgent flash from our newsroom. In New York City, oh my God, there's been a nuclear accident. afternoon and welcome to Acting Up, an hour of resistance radio that explores the movements that made us drawing from the activist archives through to voices of resistance today. Before we start the show, I would like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from Stolen Lands, the Stolen Lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This week we are continuing our retrospective series looking back at the incredible history of Friends of the Earth here in so-called Australia. And today we're going to be zooming out a bit to look broadly at the history of Friends of the Earth Australia's local groups. And these are found all over the country. And in particular we're going to be talking to people who have been involved in Faux Brisbane over the years. So this year at Friends of the Earth, we are celebrating 45 years of resistance. So that's 45 years that we've been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. I'm going to be taking you through the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. Local groups in... 
Friends of the Earth, so that's, for example, Friends of the Earth Melbourne or Brisbane, they're at the core of the structure of our organisation and keep us strong. And over the years, we've seen many local groups come and go. In the 80s, there were around 40 to 50 different local groups, and they all worked across different issues. So it's interesting taking a look back at some of those that existed and what the groups were and who's active now, what they're getting up to and what they got up to in the past. So we're going to be chatting with Cam Walker to get a bit of a historical overview of Faux Australia and then chatting to some people who have been involved with Faux Brisbane over their years. In the studio now, I've got June Norman, who's going to be joining us and we'll be phoning in some people throughout the show. So we're just going to go quickly to a CSA and we'll be back after this. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. You're listening to Acting Up. We're celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday with a retrospective series looking into our 45 years of creative resistance. This is Em. I'm your host for the show. And I'm going to be speaking with Cam Walker, who's going to have a chat with us about Foe's history of some local groups. How's it going, Cam? Yeah, good. Thank you. Great. So for listeners out there who might not know, can you describe what a local group is in the context of Friends of the Earth structure? Yep, so the local groups are the, the cornerstone of our national federation. So we're collectively known as Friends of the Earth and we have national projects uh, which operate at the national level, of course. We have affiliate groups such as the Earth Worker Manufacturing Co-op and we have local groups. And local groups are local branches of Friends of the Earth. Uh, they're autonomous, so they run themselves and they've traditionally been the cornerstone of our network. Mm. So we know that in Melbourne in the early 70s, like a lot of the work was around anti-nuclear and that led to some of the formation stories of Friends of the Earth. But there was lots of other collectives popping up around that time period and then on into the 80s. So what were the main issues that those campaigns and the local groups were sort of working on in their various areas? Yeah, in the very early days in Western Australia, Australia still allowed commercial whaling operations out of the town of Albany. Uh, so that was quite a focus in the early days and there was a successful campaign to stop commercial whaling. At that point also, uh, our petrol still had lead in it and lead has some really significant uh, mental development, cognitive development impacts, uh, particularly on children uh, and particularly on children living in inner urban areas. So getting lead out of petrol was another one. There was this short-lived uh, thing, the, the Concorde, which is a supersonic form of air travel, um, which came to Australia and it was uh, uh, opposed by Friends of the Earth and, and so actually did a, a number of protest actions against that. There was container deposit legislation, so getting a deposit on bottles 
Uh, and then, of course, there was the anti-nuclear work. So from the very early days, there was a whole range of issues that people were working on. Mm. And so, you know, I said earlier, earlier that, you know, there was upwards of maybe 40 or 50 local groups at one point in the 80s. So how did that work in terms of organising? Uh, so the groups kind of started out individually in the early 1970s and then grew. And as we understand it, in February 1974, the groups had got together and they met on French Island in Western Port Bay in Victoria and they decided to form a national federation. Then from there, they created a national magazine, which is still going, which is called Chain Reaction. And they appointed uh, what were called national liaison officers who would basically network all the local groups and those NLO positions are still in existence now. So it was always seen as a kind of decentralised, quite autonomous uh, federation of groups, uh, but it collaborated around campaigns. And from that time of 1974 into the mid and late 1970s, there was a huge campaign against nuclear power. And if you wanted a single campaign that FOE was working on in those days, it was probably the nuclear, uh, particularly the uranium mining campaign up in the Northern Territory. So a lot of the local groups collaborated around stopping uh, that the mining that was uh, intended, intended to occur in the Northern Territory. Mm. And, you know, with so many groups and obviously having that autonomous structure, do you think was there much of a clash in terms of different groups having different values and that kind of thing? There was certainly, uh, you know, a real variety of approaches. Um, I, I, you know, obviously wasn't around in those days, but came in, I guess, at the tail end of the really large network uh, being in existence. And because they're autonomous and because they're regionally based, they were very diverse. I remember there was a group in the, the mid-north coast of New South Wales that worked very closely with local councils on waste mineralisation. And there was a, a group in Wollonga, south of Adelaide, that just did um, wetland restoration and there were people that did direct action and there were people that were very focused on nuclear power. So huge diversity of issues and also huge diversity of structures. Some were very, you know, traditional and had a committee of management and secretaries and treasurers and all that sort of thing and some were much more, I guess, what we'd now recognise as being anarchist in their structure. So I'm sure there were sometimes some rough edges in the Federation, but um, I guess looking from the outside back at those days, what you notice is this really fantastic range of issues that people worked on and issues that were relevant to local uh, communities. So often people would work on the sort of things that mattered to them where they were, as well as some of the big picture energy and climate or bigger you know, environmental issues as well. Mm. And how does that compare to what we've got today in terms of the local group structure? So now we have far fewer local groups. We have a couple of really strong groups, particularly in Melbourne. Uh, but what's happened is we've grown in terms of our affiliates. So groups like Market Forces, uh, groups like the Earth Worker Co-op that I mentioned before, you know, we have all these groups that have joined us because they find common cause in our approach, which is about combining social justice and environmental sustainability. So Friends Earth is still pretty unusual amongst the national environmental groups in that we have that environmental justice focus and we really seek to create structures that represent the sort of world that we want to live in. So, you know, they're flat decision-making structures, they're anti-hierarchical, they're based on consensus, they're really trying to be inclusive and they're really trying to bring a political perspective and, and a social justice perspective to the type of campaigning we do. So, you know, that as a model is still really relevant and clearly um, you know, there are fewer local groups now, but there are a growing number of affiliates and they're drawn to us because that political view is as relevant now as it was in the early 1970s when the, the organisation was originally set up. 
Mm, absolutely. And it's great that, you know, maybe some things have changed with local groups, but we've still been able to have an adaptable structure that allows us to bring in like-minded people. Thanks so much for joining us today, Cam. Thanks. You're, you're really welcome. Thanks for the time. No worries. This is Acting Up, and we've just been chatting to Cam Walker about the structure of local groups and, in general, the Federation of Friends of the Earth. We're going to go to a CSA, and then we're going to be doing a dive into a bit of the history and the current of Friends of the Earth Melbourne, uh, Brisbane. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to the Tricia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Tustami Auna ila ila Tricia Community Radio araja al ishtrak al an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanali Tricia rai kertu kondi rakundi rakal. Inre nayungal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Netsuketsek Radio I Gayaranin. Oratangudam Elbumi Hai Kaotin. Hima Artanakrevetsek Iper Tricia rai antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. So while I was waiting for the Australia visa, I thought I'd ingratiate myself with the Australian authorities, and I wrote this song about Graham Dunstan. You following that? Did you follow that case? Graham Dunstan, uh, out in Queensland, he uh, took a hammer to a to an American uh, helicopter gunship, which is a darn good thing. I watched it on the TV Machine guns Fire towards the ground I watched the people run Helicopter gunship Strafing the street I watched them lining up the bodies In the Baghdad heat They say these leaks have consequences And I must agree When I saw them fire on the children It affected me I thought what if I were wearing The other shoe If I had a hammer What would I do
should I care? But then the answer seems so obvious. There are people down there. Right here in Queensland. There's an army base. And there's a helicopter gunship. Just sitting in place. There's a time for watching.3CR, this is Acting Up, and we're doing a retrospective series for Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday. Today we're looking at local groups and, in specific, talking with some people who have been involved with Friends of the Earth Brisbane over the years. And on the line right now, we've got Robin Turbenfeld, and I'm being joined in the studio by June Norman. Robin, how are you going today? Great. Thanks for having me today. It's hot and balmy, and we're eating mangoes up here in Queensland. Oh, that sounds, and it's sounds great to be celebrating 45 years of Friends of the Earth with you. That's great. And June, how are you going? I'm not as lucky as Robin. I'm down in Melbourne, and it's a little cold. It is a little cold. Well, thanks for, um, thanks for coming for a visit down to these colder waters. Now, Robin, that song that we just played, that was your choice. Did you want to speak to that? Sure. It was a great honor to have um, Dave Robix travel around Australia. He's probably done so um, several times, but he did come and join us um, to help us fundraise for Peace Convergence, which is our biennial actions um, usually converging around the Rockhampton region in response to the Talisman Sabre U.S.-led military exercises. And that song's really talking about our comrade Brian Law, who did a creative act of disarmament, taking a garden mattock, actually, to a Tiger helicopter and um, transforming that machine of war into a machine that could no longer kill. Um, the action was controversial, but a great inspiration to many around the world. Wow, that's amazing and great to have that documented in a song. And now you've been involved with Friends of the Earth Brisbane for some time. So how did you first get involved with the organization? Yeah, I think I first got involved with Friends of the Earth randomly, actually. I lived on the Gold Coast, and I happened to come up to Brisbane, and I saw a poster for um, the Jabaluka campaign. Actually, just happened to be the night I was in Brisbane that Yvonne Margarula senior traditional owner of Mirar um, land up at Jabaluka was going to be in town and doing a public meeting. So, of course, I stayed in Brisbane and went to that, and that started my involvement with the anti-nuclear movement and the indigenous sovereignty allyship movement here in um, Australia and led me to connect through the anti-nuclear campaign to Friends of the Earth Brisbane. There wasn't anything like that on the Gold Coast. So we started our Jabaluka Action Group and everyone for a nuclear-free future. And while I was there, we worked alongside with the support of Bo Brisbane. And when I moved up here 
it was, of course, a natural progression to work with this great um, network that combines environmental and social justice. Mm, absolutely. And so what was the political climate like at that time when you first sort of found out about Jabaluka and started that group up? Wow. Well, of course, it was a like many times we were facing repressive government and the LMP in power. And I was probably pretty naive. I'm sure the listeners can tell. I'm a, I'm American. I'm a migrant here, and I'm very grateful to be living on this ancient continent. I don't think I was really aware of the um, oppression that Aboriginal people have faced and the um, the nexus or the ongoing colonization that extractivism represents. And um, there was a great anti-union movement um, by the government at the time, and there became, uh, after 9-11, so um, a few years later than the Jabaluga campaign, uh, or well, that was still ongoing, but since the Jab- after the Jabaluga blockade, we saw really repressive, um, anti- allegedly anti-terror laws that really uh, aimed to squash our attempts at protesting to de- Moralize the anti-globalization movement, and um, we see that happening again. Actually, so mm. I think it's a cyclical thing. But they were semi-dark times, but community action did lead to the stopping of the Jabaluka uranium mine. So um, communities together can still have great outcomes. Yeah, it's. I think it's um, you know important to revisit that, especially in the times of Adani kind of moving along, but realizing that you know in the past there have been blockades that have been successful, even if it has been sort of in the eleventh hour. Um, you know, another Queensland-based project that's very destructive on um, traditional Aboriginal land. So, oh, that's right. And we have to say about Jabaluka that the blockade was. Part of the campaign, but not the whole campaign. So the blockade was a very significant moment, which increased the profile of the issue and saw, I believe, it's the largest um, mass civil disobedience uh, campaign in Australia, at least since the Franklin. But it without the ongoing activism, uh, shareholder active and the speaking truth for years of the traditional owners that mine wouldn't have been stopped. So it wasn't the blockade itself, but a a multitude of tactics that led to the stopping of that mine. And and the companies still want to mine, so we always need to be vigilant about that. Yeah, absolutely. Very important to remember. And so going on from Jabaluki, you said you you kind of got a little bit more involved in Faux Brisbane when you moved down to Brisbane. What other kind of campaigns over the years since then have you worked on at Faux Brisbane? Well, I think Faux Brisbane has been a pioneer in the climate justice movement. It wasn't what I was working on, but I did sit in the little back room with Steph Long and Emma Brindle, who were really um, bringing the next, uh, the intersections of climate justice and um, uh, those words to to our fore, I think. Um, we all had a great food sovereignty movement in Faux Brisbane. We helped um, develop community-supported agriculture programs. We worked on challenging food irradiation, which we still do. Um, June did a great numerous walks for um, peace as well as for saving the reef. And anti-nuclear, she can tell you, um, the crossover and the breadth of issues she's worked on. I've been focusing primarily on um, the anti-nuclear or the nuclear-free campaigns and um, challenging militarism and um, and working for peace. So 
in Friends of the Earth, Brisbane, uh, since 2005, we've been PACE, Peace, Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy, and I think Northern Australian states really see the U.S. military presence, and we really connect with the, the connection between uranium mining and not just nuclear power, but the nuclear weapons umbrella and the militarized spaces here. Mm, absolutely. June, do you want to speak to those walks that Robin just mentioned and your kind of some of the stuff you've done in Faux Brisbane? Um, thanks, Robin, for dobbing me in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I did my first, I suppose, big action was a, a cank ride, Cycle Against Nuclear Cycle, back in 2007, where we rode our bicycles um, down the east coast and into towns that had been proposed to have nuclear reactors when um, John Howard was our Prime Minister and there was talk about that happening. And I found that um, extremely difficult riding the bike. I rode about a 1,000 kilometres down to Lismore uh, and mentioned to a fellow cyclist, Cassie, who I said, I think I could walk easier than I can ride this bike with all the gear on. And she introduced me then to a group called Footprints for Peace, a global organisation that walks around the world, uh, raising awareness of issues of um, people that are struggling um, to live in peace, mainly through the mining of uranium and coal. And so I went off to um, Europe to walk from London to Geneva, which was 1,700 kilometres, uh, over a three-month period of time and returned the next year to walk from Geneva to Brussels through Germany uh, and then came back to Australia to find out they were planning to open the first uranium mine in Western Australia at Yaliri, which is still not opening. We've been fighting that for all of these years since 2009, so that's 10 years still keeping it at bay, uh, and there was a massive court case earlier this year. Um, so then I decided to that we needed to do these walks in Australia. This is where the nuclear cycle starts. We are the second highest producer of the uranium. So through Friends of the Earth um, and the help of all the people there, I organised a walk from Brisbane to Canberra to walk uh, for a women's walk for a nuclear-free sustainable future for our children and grandchildren. So, yes, that was the first big walk that I did. Mm. Amazing stuff. It's such um, incredible breadth of activism that, you know, for Brisbane and both of you have been involved in over the years. I guess, Robin, I'm curious to, to hear... What, what do you think is Faux Brisbane's unique role in terms of the broader Friends of the Earth Australia network? Wow, great question. Well, I guess we're the gateway to the north. And, um, of course, we're situated here. Uh, I think we're very lucky to be situated in the somewhat repressive state of Queensland. I think we do have a unique position in the environment movement of being that group that combines social and environmental justice and and also um, has a political analysis of the um, situation. So we are uniquely positioned to respond to, uh, well, for example, we had the G20 here in Brisbane in 2014, 
And most environment groups shied away from um, protesting, and many people shied away from protesting because the state ran a strong campaign based on fear for a year in the lead-up. But I think friends of the we we led the environment movement in you know see noting that the world's largest polluters were sitting around the table here in Brisbane talking about maintaining the economic status quo and. Um, I think it's really important role that we played then, and we were able to support um, not only action here in Brisbane, but show solidarity to the uh, social justice networks around the world and the people affected by the economic disparity that the G20 represents. So uh, I think we're very fortunate to be here in a state that is also, despite that repression or because of it, um, had a vibrant activist community and um, you know actually has maintained itself uranium mine free uh, with a good um, policy of no uranium mines for many years and i think that's because the maybe the people remember that they need to take the streets and that's um be united today there's actually a protest in brisbane for protest rights and it was a very diverse and united um protest and reminding us that we really need to come together, and that's what Queenlanders have ultimately done when faced with um, political impression, oppression that affects all of our campaigns. Mm, absolutely, and it's so great to have your perspective as a part of the network and to be able to connect with I think that's the beauty of the Friends of the Earth Australia Network is to be able to be connected on these issues and um, to be able to support each other in our various different campaigns on the national level. Thanks so much. Oh, oh yeah. Like just one more thing, sorry. Well, of course, also being in the north, that has led us to being closer to, uh, you know, Queensland is driven by coal, the coal extractive economy. We're close to the militarized um, spaces here. We're close to the nuclearized spaces here. And so I think, of course, that um, has allowed us to be able to feed into pro-Australia and to campaigns around um, Australia and and show solidarity to similar campaigns in other places, but, of course, raise the awareness about the Adani campaign and the war games that take place in Queensland and northern Australia, which are uh, not only politically questionable, but certainly environmentally devastating. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Robin. Thanks for having us. No worries. You're listening to ACT UP. We are doing a retrospective series on Friends of the Earth for our 45th year birthday. My name's Em, I'm your host. We're going to go to a quick CSA now. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Paul Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, straight out of New York City. I'm checking in with Australia on 855 on your AM dial. And remember, community radio is subscription-sponsored. And I think it's incredibly important to always remember that it's a different perspective. Check it. Community radio now and beyond. 
you are listening to 3CR. This is Em. I'm your host today on our show, Acting Up. And we are looking at Friends of the Earth's 45th anniversary, looking at Friends of the Earth Brisbane over the years as one of the local groups as part of the Friends of the Earth Australia Network. On the phone right now, I've got Jessica Harrison, who was involved with Faux Brisbane in the 70s. How's it going, Jessica? Oh, fine, yes. Thanks. Yeah, it was going well then. Oh, <laughs> yeah, great. The actual 70s, I think it was about 77, so sorry for being a bit... 7677. No, that's that's fine. So, uh what what got you involved with Faux Brisbane at that time? Oh, well, I was running this sort of community learning center for the learning exchange and what got me involved was the friends of yours Brisbane asked if they could move in and share the premises. Mm. And so so we were all there together. I mean, we were all living there. Some of us were living there. Um and so I got involved pretty much straight away with the big campaign to try and stop the uranium going out from um, up north. There were a few uranium mines and it was being um, taken down the east coast of Queensland by um, train. Right. And so what was the political climate like around that time? Well, it wasn't good. I mean, with Bill Peterson in in control and the police, of course, were throwing their weight around everywhere they could um, <laughs> have the chance. And, of course, with hindsight, you can see that they were involved with a lot of corrupt um, dealings as well. But there was a really, um, I suppose, there were precedents down south for the um, really good rank-and-file union opposition to uranium going out because there was a really strong awareness of the damage that the export of uranium would do whether it would be made into weapons or whether it would be used for nuclear power. So we we felt really motivated to try and stop that uranium going out from the docks, which had also happened in Melbourne as well. So, yeah, it was a bit of a a national campaign. Mm. And so what were some of the actions that you took back then in terms of trying to get that stopped up in Brisbane? Um, Well, it was pretty exciting because obviously a lot of people knew about Friends of the Earth. So we just had one landline. I know people these days were trying to believe. But our landline was, of course, the the Learning Exchange and also the Friends of the Earth landline. So what we started to get was phone calls from railway workers saying, I've seen the uranium. uh, The containers were marked with a... um, a radioactive symbol. We've seen it coming down, it's at XY. And so that gave us a few, you know, hours in some cases or maybe a couple of days notice to start to rush down to the docks. And so really the tactics we used were very similar to the ones being used um, today, but we didn't really lock our necks onto anything. We just, um, we just rallied on the railway line to stop it going, the uranium containers going into the docks. And then another time, we actually, um, we locked up, we were on friendly terms with the wharfies at the dock. And they said to us, well, if you lot get on the dock, then we will be able to stop work for safety reasons. So a really nice little cooperation happening there. Mm-hmm. And so by various means, we all ran through the dock um, where all the huge stacks of containers were. So we managed to delay that shipment for about a day. Uh, there was another funny incident where we actually were trying to track where the, the radioactive um, 
container was going and so we found out it was tracked at, at about 2 a.m. We walked into a, um, uh, a yard, a roller yard, and they said, ah, oh, you must be from Friends of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> they knew you were coming. What was that? So they sort of knew you were coming when you were tracking yeah, it around really, there. Yeah, in a way, I suppose Friends of the Earth at that time was, was really high profile. So, And funny thing was we all, <laughs> our crowd sort of rode motorbikes pretty much. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Again, we did... We did also have bike rides, of course, bike rides to to talk about, you know, sustainable transport and so on. But but funnily enough, most of the people in Friends of the Earth rode motorbikes. Yeah. That's a pretty badass picture to see all the environmental <laughs> activists on motorbikes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm afraid I was not, not very good at riding a motorbike. Yeah. But... Um, but uh, yeah, we did a lot of public education stuff about the nuclear fuel cycle. Um, I remember a bit of graffiti, there was a billboard um, where we painted uh, the sun, the only safe nuclear reactor. And uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of fun stuff. But, of course, as we now see from looking back, um, really it was, I think, I think people fairly much agree that it was that resistance to the uranium export that pretty much brought the Elke Peterson and his cronies down heavily on us, and that's what prompted them to um, to ban or to pretty much say you can apply for a, um, a permission to rally, but yes, yeah, you can apply all you like, but you're not going to get it. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting sort of seeing, you know, hearing some of these stories and then in the context of currently in Queensland, you know, there's a lot of kind of repressive laws trying to be passed and government sort of pushing back against that protest. So there is a kind of long history of that in Brisbane that's really good to kind of yeah, know. definitely. And, um, I mean, of course, those corrupt cops won't be there, but there'll be other cops. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, I always remember, you know, the kind of things that we that would happen to us, like get, getting followed home from demos, and we weren't, you weren't allowed in, um, to actually hold a banner upright, um, but they could follow you home and then they would just say, oh, we saw them holding up a banner and then you'd sort of be arrested. But, um, yeah. of course, what we went through was nothing compared to what, for example, the people in the tent embassy that was set up in King George Square, the Aboriginal tent embassy, they got loads of hassles from the cops as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a lot of the... Uranium, anti-uranium campaigning that's been done with Friends of the Earth. There's been a lot of collaboration with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and traditional owners across the country. Did you see that as a part of your campaigning back then in the 70s as well? Certainly, yes. I remember we had all the booklets about <laughs> the mines up north and just how how damaging it was for the people. I actually can't remember the names of, um, of the mines at that time. I can I, um, but yeah, we were really strongly for self-determination for the people in those communities and certainly that the worst thing for them is to have mining. Of course, we're still fighting that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the miners are still, the mining companies are still trying to rip a profit out of the planet, of the outfit of the planet. Yeah. Yeah, it is that kind of thing where, you know, one step forward, one step backwards, and it kind of continues to go on. But it's really great to be able to chat to you as someone who's been involved for such a long time and still kind of hmm. engaged on these things. Oh, well, certainly. And I think in a way you can, you know, the occupation Peterson made me an activist because that is sort of that kind of involvement. And when you saw the people that you knew and loved being dragged away, that whole process um meant that I was sort of fairly addicted to activism from that point. <laughs>
Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jessica. Thank you. It's been great to chat to you. And we're going to go to a little break and we'll be back with more Friends of the Earth Brisbane content after this. To acting up. This is Em. I'm your host for today, and we are talking about Friends of the Earth's history as part of our 45th birthday celebrations. Today, in particular, we are looking at Friends of the Earth Brisbane and some of the amazing activists who have been involved with Friends of the Earth Brisbane over the years. We just heard a song then that was selected for us by June Norman, who's with me in the studio right now. June, what was that song? What was the meaning of that song for you? Um, that song holds great um, memories for me and brings goosebumps to me each time I hear it because I went to Timor in early 2000 um, just after they got their independence from Indonesia and until I went there I knew very, very little about Timor and the part our government had played in what had happened to them and I read on the wall of their new parliament house when they took over from the UN about the, um, it just had one paragraph of the plowshares action in the UK, the women's plowshare action in the UK. And it sparked my interest, so I went around asking people till I was able to find a, an article that talked about 
1974, when Indonesia invaded, they commissioned the United Kingdom to build them four bombers to use in their fight against Timor. Um, so in the late in the 90s, in the late 90s, um, a group of people called the Plowshares. Uh, they are a very large group, mainly in the you know UK and in America. They had protested for four years doing while these bombers were being built. The usual protests of uh, writing submissions and and locking on and all of those type of things. But the first bomber was ready to fly out. And these four women, aged in their late 20s to early 30s, broke into the ha- hangar with the hammers in, from their garden sheds and smashed the cockpit of this bomber that was uh, $1.5 billion around that one and then rang the authorities and said, this is what we've done, come and get us. And these women faced 30 years in prison. They went to jail for six months and then was out on bail until the court case. And uh, in the court case, they were found not guilty. It was just an amazing, amazing thing to happen, that something like that, because um, it just struck me that these women were prepared to give up 30 years of their life for the women and children of Timor and I was in Timor working with these women and children picking up the pieces after the war. I wasn't there during the war. Um, so that that was really, really powerful to me because I'd never been an activist. Um, I had my head in the sand all of these years about these things that were going on. Uh, I was raised by my grandmother at as um, to and, and wasn't educated. My job was to get married and have children, and that's where I, what I did. And then I had this opportunity of going to East Timor as a volunteer when my um, marriage ended. My children were grown up, and in 2005 I came back to Australia, wondering what I was going to do because my whole outlook on life, my whole belief system, had changed. Mm. And I had found out that um, they were having their first talisman sabre up in um, Shoalwater Bay in 2005. And the talisman sabre, what, what's that out there for listeners who might not have heard? That was a um, a organiser. It was in John Howard's time, and he and George Bush had arranged to have these um, military exercises on our Great Barrier Reef at Shoalwater Bay and um, it was basically explained to me that it was to um, train our military. There were 25 US military came out to train our military to be more aggressive in the war whereas we'd always been the peacekeepers in the war and when I came back and found out in a few weeks this was happening but they were called war games and when I heard that expression, I just seen red. How dare they call war a game? I knew very little about these type of exercises or anything that went on like that, but I just couldn't bear to think that they would be going out and, and blatantly calling war a game. So with a friend from Melbourne, we decided to go up and protest. And we'd heard that Friends of the Earth was having a 
bus go up and uh, an organised trip up there for a week. So we joined that um, bus, went up, and I was actually arrested, my first arrest. Um, and it was really, it was a real empowering position and I met all of these people who were so um, committed to um, working for people against war uh, to save our environment. So I came back to Brisbane and joined Friends of the Earth and I have been a member of them ever since and have thrown myself into to working um, towards a sustainable future and a nuclear-free future. And I must say that um, a lot of it's been a bit difficult and um, I've struggled at times with what I've done, but I have never met such wonderful people and I've never had so much fun. Well, that's great to hear. And it's been really amazing to get to meet you and people like yourself um, via, for me, being a part of Friends of the Earth as well. I think that's a beautiful part of the network is, um, you know, connecting up with people from all different walks of life, but who are all working towards a shared vision for a different future. Yes, and I suppose I should have mentioned earlier because for me it seems important that I was in my late 60s when this happened and and I I just feel that um, I have the um, maturity and also the respectability to be out there to support all of these younger people that are doing so much and so many people don't uh, value their the work that they are doing and I really like to inspire and encourage other people my age to get out there and be involved. Mm, Absolutely Mm. and so you said that you know you started off with going to the Talisman Sabre Games and then you joined Friends of the Earth Brisbane. Where did what did you work on after that? Did you continue kind of with the anti-militarism or move on from there? Um, I moved on from there to the um, Oh, well, before I moved on from there, I did the walk that I talked about earlier with Robin, and that was an anti-nuclear walk. But then I moved across to the coal seam gas, um, where they are involved with a group in Brisbane called Six Degrees, and a ex-green person, um, Drew Hutton, came to Friends of the Earth and said he really wanted to go out and um, work with the people that were struggling out of Tara Estate where they were drilling for the first coal seam gas in Australia and he didn't want to do it under the under a political head and could he join Friends of the Earth to do that and I joined along with him and so yes I um, was the first person arrested in the fight against coal seam gas in Australia. Wow. And, and then I moved on to um, working on the Adani, the Alpha mine, uh, which is Gina Reinhardt, and the other big Galilee basin mine, the Adani mine, mm. and which I'm still fully involved in. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as someone who did come to activism in the late 60s, but obviously, you know, you're talking about... Um, multiple arrests and being involved with a lot of non-violent direct action and I feel like for some people that can feel like a bit of a barrier for entering it. How does it feel for you kind of when you're involved in some of those or being arrested or that kind of thing? Um, I suppose, you know, it it's, can be very nerve, nerve-wracking to do it and um, it is 
sometimes my family haven't agreed with what I've done and that has caused um, family issues. Uh, and so that's the only real difficult thing that I've had in this. But um, I don't feel getting arrested is the ultimate thing to do and I, I think there's lots of other things that we can do. I could not have been um, done what I did as far as being arrested if I hadn't had all of these people behind me supporting me in lots of different ways. So um, we need all types of people out there to support the people who are on the front line. They can't be on the front line if they don't have these amazing people behind them supporting mm. them. So, yes, it, there's something everyone can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it seems like there is such a big community across Australia in terms of doing activism and being in support of the environment. What what would you say the faux Brisbane community is like? Um. In the last few years, it, it is not as large as it used to be when I first first joined them, but I suppose um, where it is very, very bright, vibrant is our offices that we have are open to all of the other activists in the area to use those premises for, for um, multitude, a multitude of um, actions and programs that they run and so we keep in touch with with uh, lots and lots of different people in Brisbane who are all doing amazing work especially now with the threat to our Great Barrier Reef mm. and um, that was another thing that I was able to do under the umbrella of footprint uh, sorry the umbrella of Friends of the Earth was I walked from Cairns to Gladstone to raise awareness of the threat to our Great Barrier Reef through um, mining and um, coal seam gas. Wow, yeah, that would have been a big, a big one and great to draw attention to that issue as well, especially in that area. Yes, it was, and we did get a lot of publicity, um, mainstream media, mm. which was really, really good. Yeah. yeah, and so you said that you're currently involved with the Adani campaign still, of course. What's kind of, you know, what what are you working on at the moment and what's the future for you in terms of your activism and Friends of the Earth Brisbane? Um, I've started to play uh, a layback, um, backing away from frontline action. I have moved to a very small community because my personal belief is that when we win this uh, war against the fossil fuels in Australia and mainly in Queensland, we still have a lot of work to do. Our, our whole world is under great threat through climate change and so I've moved to a very small community where um, building... Um, a self-reliant community in um, being coal and coal seam gas free. Uh, we've got a food co-op going. We're working to be beyond zero emissions. And, um, yeah, so that, that, that's where my heart is now and my passion is now because I believe we need to be working more in communities and supporting and helping each other. Mm, absolutely. That's, we've got to start thinking about the future that we want to have and making the steps towards that. Yes, yes. yes. Well, we're coming towards the end of our show, um, and this is kind of, yeah, all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio, June. Thank you for having me here. So you're listening to Acting Up, 
This is our Friends of the Earth retrospective history series. We've been chatting today about Friends of the Earth Brisbane and some of the amazing activists that have been involved with them over the years. If you have been involved in a campaign at Friends of the Earth and you want to get involved in the series, of course, you can contact us via our Facebook page or give us a call. And make sure you tune in next week. We're going to be coming back to you again with more activist stories from Friends of the Earth's rich and vibrant history. And today we are going to be going out on the iconic song Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.